Hi there and good day. Welcome to North Bay's Heritage Diary. Listen up. We shall weave for you tales of days and times gone by, which can inform today and show the way to tomorrow. This Municipal Heritage Committee podcast looks at our town, our people, and our stories. And this time we open the diary of our shared past and talk to Mr. Floyd Andrick about the birth of the Dion Quintups, Quintuplets and the whole Quintuplets story. They played an important role in the development of North Bay and Northeastern Ontario. And Mr. Andrick is a researcher and collector. When did you first hear of the Dion's? Because you're not from around here, are you? No, I'm from Midland, Michigan. I first heard about them. I was about uh, almost seven years of age. And one day I walked into the dining room of our family farmhouse north of Midland. My mother was sorting through a box of mementos, pictures, collectibles. And there was a picture of the quintuplets when they were five years of age, carol syrup ad. And looking at that picture, these five identical little girls, I asked my mother, who who are these girls? They all look alike. Mm -hmm. My mother explained to me that they were called quintuplets. They were all born to one mother at the same time. And in trying to understand this, I said, well, Mom, you mean when you had me, if there would have been five of us, we would be called quintuplets? I said, gosh, Mom, I can't imagine what that would be like. And my mother said, no, I can't either. Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, did you follow up? I mean, were you, was it just sort of a, pa okay, there's a picture that's nice. I know the story now. And then off I go to school or play ball or whatever. Uh, when did you come back to them or did you ever leave them? Well, it was a few weeks later on August 6, 1954, uh, my seventh birthday. Late that afternoon, we kids were sitting at the dining table having some birthday cake. Mm -hmm. And the radio was on. And... Uh, the announcer said, we bring you a news bulletin from Canada. Grandma shushed us kids. And back then, if you were shushed by an adult, you mm. froze. Yeah. Okay. You didn't say anything. You didn't move. Pretty soon, another announcer came on and said, quintuplet Emily Dion died this morning in Canada. And I remember my grandmother saying, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It seemed that's all everybody talked about for a couple of weeks thereafter. Okay. Well, then my grandmother informed me that a relative of my family, Yvonne LaRue, uh, who was the nurse called in the first day. Yes. And the quince were born. Yes. She was related to our family. Okay. So my grandmother had followed the story. And then she was shared with me subsequently all about the quince and the family over subsequent years. So it wasn't then until 1963 in the fall, uh, I was 16 at the time, McCall's Magazine came out with the installment of We Were Five. Well, I read those, uh, well, it came out in two, two separate issues. McCall's was and, a magazine, just in case anybody doesn't remember, because that goes back away. Oh, uh, yes, okay. Well, I guess, you know, in reading through that, uh, I was so taken aback how the parents were ridiculed for doing what they thought was best and right for their daughters. Mm -hmm. And I wrote to Mr. and Mrs. Dion oh. a sympathetic letter okay. to them. 
And uh, over the next few years, why uh, I, I wrote subsequently. Um, and in, Good answers? Uh, Christmas cards. And I still have the Christmas card uh, in 1965 that the parents invited me to visit them. Okay. Well, and... Uh, this is well after the days of the compound. Oh, yes. They yeah. went back together again. So then in June of 66, when I finished uh, my first year of college, uh, a friend and I decided to go on a fishing trip to Canada. But I wanted to come to Calendar, Ontario. I wanted to see where all this happened. Mm -hmm. So it was then that I met the parents. Uh, and we just developed a great friendship. I was welcomed into their home, uh, stayed there at the home many times over the years. Uh, I visited them once, twice a year, every year after that, up until uh, 1984 uh, when Mama Dion's health was, was poor. Mm -hmm. And uh, their daughter Pauline, uh, Pauline and I were very close she and I spent hours and hours together with her sharing about what happened years ago. Well, Pauline commented that, you know, Floyd, we're, we're going to have to limit visitors just to immediate family. And out of respect for Mrs. Dion and the family, I fully understood. And the daughters so, were not here at the time. The, the, no. the, the four remaining quints weren't, weren't right. around. They were in Montreal. Montreal, yeah. Okay. So I didn't visit at all from 84 on through to 87 after Mrs. Dion had passed away, which is November 22nd, 1986. But meanwhile, you were you do you were doing stuff on the on the, you were you were collecting material and uh, yes. both information and items, I guess, is that sure. correct? Yeah, I would go to uh, flea markets, uh, you know, any kind of a public sale picked up scrapbooks, and there was all kinds of memorabilia on the family. So I would buy these things, and uh, gosh, I have two file cabinets full and some dresser drawers, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. have a tremendous amount of memorabilia on the family. Okay. When you were growing up and starting to get a, a real interest in, in the Dion, was there, did you know anyone else who gave a hoot? Down where you came oh, from? Oh, yes. Uh, well, my grandmother especially. I mean, she had followed them via radio. Right, You okay. know, because it was on the radio consistently about them. And back then, you know, in the 50s, they were still pretty heavily in the news. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, I often would hear people comment about the Dion quintuplets. And then in 63, when... Uh, they came out with We Were Five. Well, of course, they were on the front page again. Mm -hmm. Did you ever meet Ms. LaRue, the nurse? Uh, Yvonne LaRue, yeah. yes. In 1970, uh, I had an opportunity to speak with her. Um, and I remember asking her about when she first walked into the farmhouse on the afternoon of May 28, 1934. She shared that she walked in. The two midwives, Madame Legros, Madame Lebel, were sitting on kitchen chairs in front of the kitchen range. Okay. And they had the five babies in the butcher's basket on the oven oh. door to keep them warm. Yeah. 
And Yvonne said she walked up, she, she first heard kittens. And she wondered, why would they have kittens in the house? And she, she walked up, she looked over Madame LaBelle's shoulder, and here in this basket were five little faces the sizes yeah. of apples. Yeah. And Yvonne said to herself, what an introduction to nursing. Yeah. This was her first case. Oh, she really? had just graduated as okay. an RN. Oh, boy. And uh, she said uh, Madame Legros uh, departed shortly after. Uh, Madame LaBelle stayed till around 8.30 that evening because they had been there all night yeah, and all yeah, day. Yeah. And Yvonne said that night she lost track a number of times. That first one baby would stop breathing. She'd pick it up, give it a couple puffs of air. And then another would stop. She'd pick that one out of the basket, give it a couple puffs of air. Yeah. And that went on all night. Dr. Defoe came back around 7 a.m. the next morning. And uh, Yvonne was, well, her nerves were getting a little I shattered guess, by guess. that time. And she said, Doctor, what am I going to do? I can't keep all of them breathing. Yeah. She said he went out to his car. He brought in a bottle of rum. Well, she had been feeding them with an eyedropper. Okay. Uh, they boiled some cow's milk, added a little caro syrup and water, and she would feed them a few drops. What kind of syrup? Caro. K-A-R-O. What is that? Uh, it's a corn syrup. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. Like beehive golden corn syrup, that sort of there stuff. There you go. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so she would give them a few drops of rum. Mm -hmm. And she said, boy, they would spark right back to life. They would pink yeah. right up. Yeah. Yeah. I regret that I never thought to ask Yvonne during that week of all that stress and tension, how many times did you tip the bottle up <laughs> I can <laughs> to imagine. Yeah. allay her stress of yeah. the circumstance? Did she say anything about Dr. Defoe at all? He was, he's a prime figure in this whole melodrama, isn't he? Oh, yes. I don't recall her in that short time that I spoke with her any any reference to Defoe. Um, uh, Pierre Burton has a, wrote a book in the late 70s, The Dion Years, a 30s melodrama, and he has a, a neat picture of the doctor with an oversized hat in his head. And his, his, his quote, if I can remember it, was um, he never... He never found a hat big enough to fit in. Mm -hmm. And I thought after, after looking into it and realizing he had a double, more than a double meaning in that little, that little quote, mm -hmm. um, does that sort of fit with what you found out about in, in your hunting up material and so on? Uh, okay, well, stepping back just a bit, uh, she did mention, Dr. Defoe, that he was the one that called her that day at St. Joseph's Hospital in North Bay okay. uh, and asking her to gather uh, whatever she could for supplies for a premature delivery mm -hmm. and get out to the home of Oliva Dion as quickly as she could. That was the only reference in that time that I spoke with her that she made to Defoe, that he was the one that called her. Uh, back to Defoe and the size of his head, well, that could be taken two ways because in pictures he did have an oversized head. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, as you know, all the fame, all the notoriety, uh, 
you know, a obscure country doctor. Well, must have been tough to handle. Uh, no doubt, very much so, because you know he was. He took comfort in being basically a backwoodsman, you know, here in Calendar, Ontario. He didn't, uh, when he graduated, uh, he didn't want to go to a big city hospital. Uh, although his brother, Will, was uh, head of a big hospital in Toronto. Oh, okay. The Children's, Sick Children's Hospital in Toronto. Okay. And then Will became an advisor to... Dr. his younger brother, Roy Defoe, about the Quint. When you were learning about this whole story, what was your reaction when you, when, you, when you found out that the government sort of took the kids and put them into a display well, you situation? Well, initially, in, 19, in July 1936, when the government took custody, I think it was July 24th, 1934, it was to be for two years. Initially, the government wanted custody for 18 years. Really? But, but the parents adamantly objected, said, we can't give up our children for 18 years. Mm -hmm. And so it was negotiated back and forth. Finally, the government officials relented that it would be for two years. So the parents agreed to that, thinking in two years, We'll get the girls back. Their health will be insured. Uh, they'll never know anything happened to them. But, of course, two years later, in 1936, um, a big, the big observatory had been built. Thousands of people were coming. In fact, 6,000 came on Labor Day, 1936. Ontario was making millions of dollars off the mm -hmm. quince. When the parents protested that the two-year agreement was up, the government paid them a deaf ear, thinking, you know, they're just a couple farm folks. They have no power. So, uh, you know, the parents fought the government for another seven years, and then the girls were nine years old before they really received custody. Mm -hmm. And by that time, I mean, they had been raised as royalty, as princesses, and then on November 17th, 1943, when they moved into the big house, which was had been built next door, uh, mixing royalty with a farm family, yeah. well, you can imagine that's not going to work very well. Yeah. Do you see a, a hero or a villain in this whole story? That's a good question, and I don't have a good answer. Okay, okay. It's... You can see you can see political aspects. You can see you can see conflict all the way through it, can't you? Even, even the, among the villages, mm -hmm. and uh, the the um, the the French English situation. Uh, Defoe was English, and everybody mm -hmm. else in the in the in the inner circle was French. Oh yes. And um, the priest was involved, and mm -hmm. it was just. Uh, do you think the family ever recovered from it? From no, it? they never did. Even uh, late in life. The parents grieved over the loss of their daughters, not only the physical loss, but the emotional loss. I remember one time, I think that was about June of 1970, when I was visiting the parents. We were sitting in the living room, and a car pulled up the driveway quite close to the house. And Mama Dion looked out, and they had a little dog, a little white dog. They called him Moose. Moose. 
<laughs> okay. And the dog started barking. And Mama Dion said to the dog, is it Annette? Is it Cecile? Is it Yvonne? You know, I think it was just deep down wishful thinking. Mm. Maybe one of the daughters were coming back to Because I guess when they, when they left, they left, didn't they? Really? Yeah. Any idea why? Well, um... I mean, you've talked to some of them, you've done some research and all that sort of... Is there any answer that comes to your mind, or is it just one of those things that it's a family matter and leave it alone? Well, I think it goes back to those initial years. I mean, uh, being raised as royalty for the first nine years, and then moving in with their siblings and parents. And, of course, there had to be animosity there, that these five were raised in luxurious mm -hmm, mm -hmm. circumstances and the other children were raised in a normal family farm home. Had to be animosity and I'm sure the Quints felt that as did the non-Quint siblings. And I think, you know, when they turned 18 after they graduated, which was on their 18th birthday, May 28, 1952, uh, then, of course, that fall, they all went off to Montreal to colleges and convents. And I think they, maybe going back to, to nursery days where they were uh, regarded as special, maybe they, they wanted a private life mm -hmm. and thinking going off to Montreal to college, convents, they could uh, mingle with other children who were raised in normal circumstances, and maybe they could attain obscurity. Mm -hmm. uh, you put, put it nicely, obscurity. Mm -hmm. I got here in 58, and um, a couple of years later, uh, Thompson, Roy Thompson bought the TV station, and working at the TV station was Vic Dion. That's mm -hmm. the, only, the only member of the Dion family that I ever met. Oh, yes. And... Um, Nobody ever went after Vic, uh, or talked about the family or anything, which was, wasn't verboten, but just didn't do it. Mm -hmm. You left, left him alone. Sure. So I don't know what it would be like for the family. And, and, um, it, it must have been a, a, a most trying number of years. And the, you've mentioned visiting the home. Where were they living in the compound at the time? No, no they, the family, had, they, uh, they had moved out of the mansion home, uh, 1960. And the parents built the brick ranch just west of the, the big house. Okay. Okay. Probably about 200 yards to the west, and that's where they spent the rest of their lives. And that's where I, when I first met them, uh, and would visit, uh, that was the location. The material you've cut. Did you find anything in in where Where did you do your research, by the way? What did you? Okay, uh, primarily when I was going to Delta College, they had multiple sets of encyclopedias. Oh, yeah. The younger yeah. set, what's an encyclopedia today? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they had multiple sets. Before Google. There was a lot of information in there. Uh, library had a little information, but uh, that was the primary, primary avenue of research was mm -hmm. encyclopedias back then. Yeah. Um, when did you start collecting? Well, actually, it began when I was seven years of age, and uh, 
My grandmother informed that me. That story that, really affected you, didn't it? It really did for was some it reason. Was it the fact that your grandmother was related to the nurse? Did that have play a role, do you think? Uh, that's, that's likely. And supposedly, uh, grandmother and uh, Yvonne LaRue had corresponded. And uh, subsequently, when my grandmother passed away, when my aunts were sorting out all of her papers and everything, I was hoping that perhaps they would find some of that correspondence. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, by the time I got home from school the one day, they had already burned oh. a great deal of okay. papers and letters and everything. And uh, then after I got home from school, uh, I was instructed to take this large cardboard box of documents, everything, pictures, out to the burn pile. Mm. Well, I did not obey. Oh, okay. I uh, heisted all those things into, <laughs> we had a woodshed, and it was an okay. upstairs. Okay. My grandfather's record books and family ancestral photos. I guess my aunts didn't see any value in those things, but I took everything. I took the empty box back in. Uh, did you get all that out there okay? Yep, I did. Didn't tell them what I did, did with it. Did you ever tell them? Never did. <laughs> I was smart. That was smart. <laughs> but you've got stuff for your, uh, about your family now that, that, that would be gone. Other, oh, yes. Other than that. Yeah. Now, the collecting, when did that, that, that start? I mean, were you into collecting the Dion dolls and all that sort of stuff? Or no, I never had any interest in the dolls. Uh, fellow collectors, you know, they have many sets of those but I guess being a guy that didn't interest me in the okay. least uh, primarily paper items all right you know, okay newspapers magazines books and there were a lot of them weren't there? oh my yeah and that's mostly what I have I have a few 3d items like you know the chrome cereal bowl uh, I brought along on this trip uh, an 11 inch tall carving by Swedish artist Johan Trigg of Madame Le, uh, Madame Legro, okay. uh, with a basket with the five babies in oh, it. Oh my goodness! And I understand that was made in 1936, and he only made one. Oh boy! And fortunately, I have it. Well, that's nice. Mm -hmm. Where are you going with this? And 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 what did you do for to make a living, basically? Okay. Well, I was trivocational for 28 years, meaning that. I did three professions for okay. 28 years. Uh, I was a surgical technician in our hospital. I specialized in orthopedics. Ah, I owned a that's business. Funny. Yep, isn't it? And I was a property developer. Uh, I was a landlord. I had uh, many rental properties. Uh, I've gradually sold them all off. I'm down to 14 properties now. Just 14 from, from 22. Okay. And uh, so at age 50, uh, realizing my net worth at the time, which I usually don't share, but I was yep. very comfortable financially, I decided, well, I guess it's time to retire. All right. Well, that was 22 years ago, and I've been working ever since. Okay. Primarily as a volunteer. Uh, I'm on the uh, board chairman of three organizations, uh, primarily for senior services. I enjoy giving back and helping the seniors, even though I am one. Do the seniors that, you, that you're dealing with, if you throw the Dion Quintuplets at them 
as a topic, do they just do they go blank or do they know what you're talking about? They know exactly what I'm talking about. Now take someone 40, 50 years of age when I mention this. Who, who are they? What, what are they? The young people have never heard of such yeah. a thing. Yeah. And yeah. when I apprise them of it, oh, wow, that's interesting. And I say, well, go on Google and type in Dion Quintuplets. You will be amazed at what you find. There's a difference between a hobby and an obsession. Where is it with you? I think it's a hobby, really. Okay. I know it could be borderline obsession. One of my other interests, which is on the Titanic, I've oh, been yeah. accused of being obsessed. I, I knew personally 14 survivors. Oh, And right. uh, that has been a lifelong hobby as well. It's taken me all over the world. Okay. Um then you must have been interested when they went down with the, uh, the I forget the gentleman's name. When, when Dr. Robert Ballard. Yeah, Ballard. Right, right, right. So he went down. Do you wish you were him? He offered me, well, back in 1987, I organized and hosted the 75-year anniversary of the Titanic sinking. Uh, we had nine survivors attend. Dr. Robert Ballard was our guest speaker. And... Uh, we accommodated him royally. So he said, well, Floyd, we're going down again next year. Would you like to go? Oh. And I said, Robert, thank you, but just call me chicken of the sea. <laughs> because getting okay. in that little sub, free falling yeah. for three yeah. hours to get down 12,600 feet, I said, oh. I couldn't do it. I said, if you could anesthetize me, put me in the sub, Get me down there, zap me out of anesthesia, let me see the ship, but then zap me back under. But no, I couldn't do it. So you're attracted to, I used the term melodrama before, soap operas. I mean, I mean the, <laughs> the Titanic and the Dion's both have that in common, haven't they? Really? Yes. Disaster. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's another. <laughs> it wasn't disaster. Thank you for coming and talking with us. My pleasure. This material. It's been, it's been fascinating talking to you. And What are you going to do next? Uh, well, I keep thinking about retirement, but uh, uh, no. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Hopefully another 10, 15, maybe 20 years. Okay. I enjoy everything I'm doing. I love being active. Giving back is, I mean, society has been good to me. I've been very successful, a lot of hard work, but I love giving back. I love sharing. Excellent. Researcher and collector in the Dion uh, world, Floyd Endrick, our guest, thank you for spending some time with us, listening to our stories, these productions put together by the North Bay Municipal Heritage Committee, not only to retell old tales, but hopefully to kindle interest in area history. Local lore is important to any community, and we shouldn't let it go unremarked and unremembered. Views expressed in this podcast, not necessarily those of the Corporation of the City of North Bay or its employees. Join us next time when we flip another page of the Diary of Our Shared Past. You can reach us at peter.corello at cityofnorthbay.ca. Production, Kini Ducharme, Pete Handley speaking. <laughs>